Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's what a guide is. That's what this Greek word hodegeo means. Now, the same word is used, and you really see the tenderness of it. You really see the gentleness of it when you see this word being used in Revelation 7.17, where it's not translated guide, it's actually translated lead, but it's the same word. And there's, here's how it goes. As I read this, just picture the gentleness and the tenderness of this in Revelation 7.17. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them. That's our word, hodigeo. Shall lead them into living fountains of water and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. So the Holy Ghost, he not only guides us into all truth, but he guides us with gentleness. He guides us with a patience. He guides us with tenderness. And he guides us also gradually. Just like when Jacob told you, I can't go with you because I've got young cattle, and if I go with you back home at that rate, they're gonna die, they're gonna have a real problem. So that's like the Holy Ghost. He doesn't overload us with truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ said in John 16, 12, in John 16, 12, which is actually just before the verse we're talking about, and he says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. You can't bear them now. There's so many things that I don't understand in the Bible. There's so many things that God has many things to show us, and he will show us as time goes on. And the spirit of truth will guide us into all truth gradually, gradually. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth, and he guides us into all truth. But what's this truth? What's this all truth that's being referred to here when it says he's the spirit of truth and he guides us into all truth? The all truth is given to us in John 14, 6. John 14, 6, when it says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What he's saying there is that the Lord Jesus is saying he is the truth. He is the truth. He himself is the truth. So when the Holy Ghost guides us into all truth, he's guiding us to know more and more and understand more and more about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what that means. So the Holy Ghost is guiding us to this person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We couple this together, we couple these truths together, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the truth, and he gently and tenderly and gradually guides us to him. So the Holy Ghost is doing that. He's doing that so that he can grow our capacity to understand the Lord Jesus Christ better. He's doing that so that he can grow our capacity to grasp the person 
of the Lord Jesus Christ tighter. He's growing us so that we increase our capacity for loving and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ better, better. It's all this moving forward. You know, and understand the Lord Jesus Christ better to grasp him tighter, to love and obey him more, we have to be willing to put one foot in front of the other. We gotta be willing to go on from where we are, to move on. The Holy Ghost wants to guide us to see more of how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ is, but we gotta be willing to go with him. We gotta be willing to study more about the Lord Jesus Christ, to seek to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ can be discovered more today to be more wonderful than we knew him yesterday. And to make this discovery though, we gotta be willing to look more at him and to study more about him. This is really just like the first settlers who came to America. When they came here, they arrived at Plymouth Rock in Massachusetts. You know, it's kind of interesting you think about those settlers because they arrived and I wonder what they were thinking you know, when they arrived at this place where there was this rock, I mean, they were thinking, I wonder how big this island continent is, you know? I mean, because they were just there. They had no idea. They had no idea when they arrived there of the vast beauty of America that was beyond their little outposts there on the shore of Massachusetts. When they arrived there, they didn't know anything about the beauty of the Great Lakes, and the majesty of Colorado Rocky Mountains. They didn't know. They didn't know anything about the magnificence of the Grand Canyon, you know, or the expanse of the prairie lands, the greatness of the Mississippi River, and and the the unending sky in Montana, and they didn't even know anything about Anzo Borrego Desert, you know, (laughs) and all the other beauties of America. They just didn't know. What did they know? They just knew their little outpost there in Plymouth Rock, but they loved what they found so far. I mean, they're just a little fringe, little fringe population there on the edge of this great land of America, some places where no one has ever walked before. And they didn't know. But gradually, if they were willing to move on, which they did from Plymouth Rock, they would learn more and more about how beautiful America was that they landed on. That's a picture of what it means when the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, gradually guides us into all truth. When we received the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we landed on Plymouth Rock. We just landed there. And just like those settlers, they had no idea of the vast beauties of the length and breadth of America, the land of America. When we received the Lord Jesus Christ, we had no idea of how vast are the beauties of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're told, but the Holy Ghost says, you just come with me, you'll be willing to move, I will guide you, I'll take you all through them. Now, we're told about the Holy Spirit in this verse we're studying here in John 16, 13, John 16, 13, it says, he shall not speak of himself. He shall not speak of himself. Why? Because that's the mark of Satan. That's what Satan does. Satan speaks about himself. So Satan gets other people to speak about themselves. If a person today is in a church that only talks about the Holy Ghost and the works and the gifts of the Holy Ghost, that person's in the wrong church because John 16, 13 says about the Holy Ghost, he shall not speak of himself. He's not gonna speak of himself because the Holy Ghost is only gonna speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the next verse says in John 16, 14, John 16, 14, it says, he shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. Now, there's three words that describe what he does, what the Holy Ghost does, what he does. And the words back up in, in John 16, 13, John 16, 13, when it says, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. See, those are the three words that describe the action of what the Holy Ghost does, what the Holy Spirit does. He hears, he speaks, he shows. And those beautiful words describe our calling as believers in life, our calling. The first one is hear, hear. We are to hear the word of God. It's a very special word in the Bible for hear in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word shema, shema. And the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament really gave a great description of what Shema means when he said in Luke eleven twenty eight, Luke eleven twenty eight. but he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. That's a really important part. They hear the word of God and keep it. That verse is a description, a definition of the Hebrew word Shema, because Shema just doesn't mean to be aware of, or to understand what it means, or to know with head knowledge. But the word Shema, for the word of God, it has embedded within its meaning response. It's hear and respond, hear and respond. And that's what he was saying in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Shema is to hear and keep. It's maybe, I don't know, similar to our old English word, hearken. So that's why it's so vitally important for us to take quality time, to take a quiet time with the word of God and to sit still and to read it every day and let God speak to us so that we can obey what we hear. That's why the daily quiet time is so valuable. We've gotta have a time. There's got to be a time. There's gotta be a place in each one of our lives where we meet with God with his word. Now, the next word is to speak. Next word describes what we do when we hear. We speak. I don't have a problem speaking. Anyway, that's me. All right, so the next word, it's our calling. It's to speak. What we learn from God is not designed for us to keep to ourselves, to hoard to ourselves. We're to help others by speaking, by speaking about what God has shown us and what we are obeying, not shown us, but what we are obeying. That's what is so important about the Great Commission when it says in Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. You see, when Peter was tempted and he said to him in Luke 22, 31, Luke 22, 31, he said, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired you that he might sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's the idea, strengthen thy brethren. So he teaches us, the Lord teaches us, we can, through the Holy Spirit, teach others And then the third word, the great word, is show, show. This is really along the lines of the gentle guiding, the tender guiding. It's not just tell them and leave them. This is show them. You know, for 14 years, my wife homeschooled our three boys, and when she taught them, 
is to watch her. When she taught them, she would explain and she would, you know, show them. And then she would stop and she would look at each one individually and she would say, as only a mother can do, she would say, do you understand? (laughs) And they couldn't fool her. (laughs) Because, you know, that was her mother's thing. Okay, and this is what the priests did in Israel. This is how the priests taught in Israel. In Nehemiah 8.8, it explains in Nehemiah 8.8, it says, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. They didn't mumble it. They didn't say it with a low voice. They read it distinctly. It could be understood. And gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Read it with clarity so it can be understood. Then they explain what it meant. Then they explain what it meant. And then they confirmed that they understood. In other words, they caused them to understand. Did you not understand? Let me explain it some other different way. I'll give you a different analogy. See, their goal was that it would be understood. That's effective teaching. That's what effective teaching is. This is also, Paul said, the gospel is so great, I want it to be understood. So he said in 2 Corinthians 3.12, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Plainness of speech. You know, you know, not like some of our politicians, you don't know what they said. But he said, great plainness of speech. And that's what it means to show. That's what it means to show. Now, now we know that it's the Holy Spirit, it is him who is guiding us into a deeper, deeper understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we want to go learn more about the Lord Jesus from this verse in 1 Peter 2.14 by focusing on these words, our sins, our sins. And this is leading up to communion. So I want you to really take this in and use this in your heart and your mind as you take communion. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. So now we're going to look at what was that? What was our sins? What was the load of our sins that he bore for us? The Bible strongly emphasizes that the Lord Jesus Christ bore our sins. This is all woven throughout Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Isaiah 53, 6 Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 11, the 11th verse of Isaiah 53, it says, He shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And then the last verse, in verse 12, goes on and it says he's going to divide the spoil of the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Over and over and over again, it's so clear that the Messiah is going to take away our sins, as John put it, John the Baptist, take away our sins. He's going to remove our sins by bearing our sins. So what was it? What did he bear? What was the load for him to bear? Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ, we can get an idea of this, when the Lord Jesus Christ came to the Garden of Gethsemane, he anticipated with a great anxiety 
taking this load of sin. So Jesus is going to be in Israel, and he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane there. That's where he was. But he anticipated taking the load of our sins. And as he approached it, he said in Mark 14.34, Mark 13.34, here are his words as he was approaching the anticipation of taking the load of our sins. He saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death unto death. The anticipation of taking the load of our sins was so terrible, he came close to death. He came close, overwhelmed with sorrow. It was death by sorrow. That's what had been written on the death certificate, death by sorrow. That's what he's saying here. And then when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and anticipating again bearing the load of our sins, he sees a cup. He sees a cup, and the cup is being offered to him, and in the cup is all of our sins, and it's so terrible that it's describing him in Luke twenty-two forty-four. In Luke twenty-two forty-four, it says, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So the agony is so great. It's like the blood vessels in his head were wrung like a wet cloth and great drops of blood fall from his head down to the ground. Yet he holds up, he holds up under this anxious anticipation of bearing the load of our sins. And when we see that, that the Lord bore our sins to save us, I mean, I'm gonna ask you a question. It's gonna be, always get a question, who could? And when you hear that, I want you to respond to me None but the Lord. And so who could hold up under this agony of sorrow, this sorrow unto death that caused sweat drops of blood? None but the Lord. None but the Lord. The load of our sins was heavy. It was heavy because of, for one thing, just the sheer number. The number of our sins. You know, I don't, we can't imagine what they were, the number, but let's just say that if a person was to sin just once per day, which is very conservative. And I'm sure none of you fall in that category. But anyway, let's just say that a person was to sin once per day. And let's just say that a person lives till they're 80 years old. And let's just subtract the first 13 years. Let's just say that the age of 13 is the age of accountability, which is conservative. That would mean that a person would have sinned about 25,000 sins in his lifetime give or take. And the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ died for the sins of every man, as it says in 1 John 2, 2, 1 John 2, 2. And he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now, let's just say that there's been about maybe 10 billion people who've lived since Adam, and that's conservative also. That would mean if you take 10 billion times 25,000, that's a number of 250 trillion sins that the Lord Jesus Christ died for. That's an incomprehensible number. When King David thought just about the sins in this one point, up to this one point in his life, he said in Psalm 40, verse 12, for innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart 
faileth me. He had heart failure looking at just the sins in his life. He called just the sins in his life innumerable. He said they overwhelmed him and they made him not able to look up. Just think about 250 trillion sins, what that looked like for the Lord Jesus to bear. The load of our sins was heavy because the number of our sins, over 250 trillion sins, who could bear up under 250 trillion sins? None but the Lord, none but the Lord. When Moses was responsible for taking care of the children of Israel in the desert, something I wouldn't wish on anybody, but he had a visit at one time from his Midianite father-in-law. Midianite father-in-law could come and say, look, I'm not Jewish, so I'm a good objective observer here. And he watched Moses trying to bear all the burdens of caring for the Jewish people in the desert. And so his Midianite father-in-law says, you know, son, let me give you some advice. And in Exodus 18.18, he gives you advice. Exodus 18.18. And he says to Moses, thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing's too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. And so he's told him, he says, you are going to wear away. This is too heavy for you, and you were not able to do this. In other words, he's saying, this is going to kill you. And so Moses, he knew he was right. He knew this Midianite father-in-law was right. So then Moses, then next time he speaks to God in Numbers, in Numbers 11.14, Numbers 11.14, Moses now is talking to God, and he says, I am not able to bear all this people alone because it's too heavy for me. Now, he knew. And King David, again, just speaking about his own sins, in Psalm 38.4, Psalm 38.4, he said, for mine iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden, they're too heavy. They're too heavy for me. The Lord Jesus, he didn't just bear over 250 trillion white lies. You know, little, he didn't just bear over 250 trillion, I forgot to pick up the eggs when I was at the store. He bore enormously heavy sins. He bore the sin of adultery that comes from the lustful look. He bore the sin of murder that comes from the angry words. Heavy, heavy load of great things. Who could hold up under the weight of the enormity of all those sins? None but the Lord. Now, each one of our sins, it has a separate penalty, a separate penalty. That can be seen in the offerings in the book of Leviticus. What is Leviticus? Leviticus is like a prescription separate penalty offerings for separate penalty sins. Each sin had a separate penalty offering, and Leviticus just lays out what these penalties offerings are for all these different sins. As a matter of fact, if there's one message for the book of Leviticus, it's this. Each sin has to be paid for separately, separately. You know, there's no carte blanche. Okay, one, you're finished. Each one of our sins had to be paid for separately. If a person doesn't receive the Lord Jesus Christ as his savior, as his sin bearer, then he will pay for all of his sins throughout all eternity, and all eternity is not enough time to pay for all the separate sins. But the Lord Jesus Christ paid for each one of the separate sins on the cross. Who could pay for each one of those sins? 
None but the Lord. When the Lord Jesus Christ bore this load of sins, he wasn't anesthetized. As a matter of fact, he was offered an anesthetic and he said, no. Why? Because he wanted, he said, so that I could intensely feel the load of our sins. And when he felt the load of our sins, he groaned. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 